Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Bring spring color inside this season with Bare Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the Bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. All-inclusive vacations make life easy with endless eats, bottomless drinks, and never-ending fun. So booking an all-inclusive vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. Book your all-inclusive getaway with Apple Vacations and receive exclusive perks at select resorts. You'll find the best deals at Ryu Hotels and Resorts in Mexico, the Caribbean, and Central America, and enjoy a selection of exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Turn on easy mode at applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Visit applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Yo, next round is about to start. You ready? Yeah, yeah, just shopping for a car in Carvana. For real? Yeah, Carvana makes it super convenient to shop whenever, wherever. For real? That's a ton of car options. Yep, and these are all within my price range. For really real? You can afford that? Yeah, with Carvana. And boom, just like that, I'm getting it delivered in a couple days. For really, really real? You just bought a car. For real, and you just lost. My turn. Visit Carvana.com to shop for thousands of vehicles under $20,000. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, they say we are what we are, but we don't have to be. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Polkabon. And I'm Joe McCormick. So we've got a fun topic lined up today. Yeah, so uh, it's, it's one that I really was thinking about recently because I saw this awesome movie, Big Hero 6. I haven't seen it yet. It's so really good. The trailer I, was really cute. I haven't seen it either, but Jonathan keeps talking about it. So <laughs> I think we need to go see it. So before I, I get into what today's topic is specifically, the thing I wanted to say about Big Hero 6 is the, the movie opens. It's set in the, uh, an alternate future, really, because you have uh, the main city is San Francisco. So it's a, a kind of a, a melding of San Francisco and Tokyo. A gorgeous world design. Mm-hmm. But the thing that really impressed me early on is that there's all this kind of science fiction-y sort of stuff going on. But a lot of it 
at least has its basis in science fact. A lot of it is is based on, you know, take take sort of the cutting edge stuff that's going on in labs right now, project it out several years and assume that the research you know, plays out and that everything is fruitful. And what do you get? And a lot of the technology you see, at least in the early part of the movie, seems to go along with that. Hmm. And I, I was just really impressed. I mean, everything from soft robotics to what we're going to talk about today, which is self-reconfiguring modular robots. Or, uh, as you also noted, they can be called in your script for this video episode, yeah. autonomous kinematic machines of variable morphology. Rolls off the tongue. So what on earth is that talking about? <laughs> well, I, I think we should start with the idea of the variable morphology. Okay, so something that changes shape. Right. Morphology refers to, like, structure or form or shape as it would in biology. So so what we're talking about is a transformer. That's right. Yeah. A, a shape-shifting robot. And why is a transformer great? Well, a transformer is well, it's great. It's more than meets the eye, Joe. Yeah, it's a <laughs> robot in disguise. It's in the theme song. A transformer is great unless you're talking about one of the recent movies. A cartoon transformer <laughs> yeah, or, or a real transformer. Either one of those would be great. But it's great because it can do two jobs, whereas most robots can only do one. So a regular robot might be an autonomous car, and it can drive down the highway distributing uh, pallets of Captain Crunch. Uh, excuse me, Captain Crunch. Right. Mm -hmm. I didn't yeah. do the hyphen correctly. I would really hope he'd be an admiral by now. Yeah. But then, of course, after that autonomous truck delivers them, it can't get into big wrestling matches with other robots. Now, you might make a robot that can get into wrestling matches with other robots and stab them through the side of a highway with a giant sword, but that robot can't be a truck unless it's a transformer <laughs> right right where it can be both or exactly. you can but, but, but wait let me do you one better yeah what's better than a transformer that can assume two morphs a robot that can assume even more morphs what about a robot that can assume an infinite number of morphs so you're saying like a robot that is capable of assuming any shape that you need at any given time to perform any given task Bingo. Well, that is something that is is in Big Hero Six. Uh, the the hero whose name is Hero uh, actually designs uh, self self uh, self reconfiguring modular robots. He designs a a tiny robotic unit that, when it connects to others of its kind, make larger shapes. And you might think, well, that's pure science fiction, but it's not. And we want to kind of go into more detail about why such a thing would be a desirable object in the first place. And you, you really hit on it, Joe. The idea that robots today tend to be really good at specific things and crappy at everything else. Yeah, they have one job. Yeah. Um, you had one job, Roomba. <laughs> I asked you to paint a masterful <laughs> painting. You had one job, and all you did was clean the floor. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's exactly right. I mean, we do, we design robots to perform specific tasks, and so the form follows the function. Yeah, in fact, there almost seems to be a direct proportional correlation where the more diverse a robot's skill set gets, the worse it gets at all of those jobs. Right. I instead so it of, can be really good at one right. or very mediocre at several. Oh, this, exactly. this, this is like that TV trope about, about ninja in that if you have one ninja, it's great. 
Mm-hmm. And if you have a hundred ninja, they have about the same capacity as that one ninja would have, just <laughs> spread out amongst all of them. Right, right. That's why the tick can just breeze right through a horde of ninja. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, besides the fact that he's also nigh invulnerable. Um, <laughs> yeah, they, the, this is, that's exactly right. Yeah. The, you, you build a robot that you want to be able to do lots of things. Usually it can do a few things and not so great. And, and this is, you know, anyone who's, who's played with any of the, Robots that are social bots that are mm-hmm. meant to do like these things, like mostly in the toy department. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're amusing, but they're not exactly the best at anything that they're trying to do. Okay. And there are solid design reasons for creating robots that are, that, that only have one job, right? I mean, it, creating robots is kind of expensive and time consuming. And so if you're trying to build lots of different functionality into them, that's that's a lot more expensive and a lot more time consuming if you if you're narrowing down what you want it to do. Right. If you if you pinpoint that focus, then you say, here's what the robot has to be able to do. Anything that does not directly contribute to this task, we can eliminate. That means that you can you know really pinpoint that focus, really make sure that that design is as efficient as possible at doing that task. But let's imagine a scenario. Okay. Let's say that you live in a house by yourself. Okay. And you work long hours and you need a robot to help you clean the house and okay. take care of it, do so, all so the maintenance. Beyond, beyond something like a Roomba that's just going to sweep the floor. Sure. A Roomba might be really good at sucking up dust off the floor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's its one job. But a Roomba, of course, cannot clean your gutters. Right. And it can't, uh, well, I don't know. I was going to say it can't soap and mop the floor, but they might make Roombas that can do that. They do, they do make mopping Roombas, but they're not usually also sweeping Roombas. Right. So it's, in other words, you have, you have two different robots that Mm -hmm. have similar but different jobs. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then what about dusting? Yeah. Another one for washing windows and another one for doing your dishes. And there, there have been lots of robots that do these things, but again, they're all individual, like they're unitaskers, as Alton Brown would call them. So are you going to fill your house up with 35 different kinds of robots. Well, well maybe if you can afford it and, and you, you and don't mind occasionally getting sharp metal jabbed into you. Well, also, you you, <laughs> ju- you started this off by saying you live alone. I mean, that maybe that'll make you a little less lonely to have like 35 <laughs> robot friends doing all your work for you. That would make me more lonely. Would it? Yeah. I, I just named them. I assume if you live some with somebody else, you can bully them into doing all their housework. <laughs> Is that how it works in your household? <laughs> no, I'm the one who gets bullied. I'm just kidding. <laughs> My wife is wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I, I I do the same thing, Joe. Uh, yeah, uh, so this is this is exactly the point you're making, though, is is very much on target, right? The idea that it would be very beneficial to have a a modular robot, a robot made up of smaller robots, smaller pieces that could form any given shape to perform any task as best as it possibly could, rather than have a veritable army of robots. I mean, even if you were to say, well, let's imagine that I've got enough space for all those robots and I would want them all, just the power bill alone to keep them all charged would be ridiculous. So what if you could have this group of tiny robots that join together to form a much larger moving uh, object that can do pretty much anything you want it to do? Right, so it could... Form into a small disc and hoover along the floor like the Roomba does, or maybe it could make itself tall, rearrange itself into a long stick with arms to clean the windows Mm -hmm. or to reach into the sink to clean the dishes 
or it could even uh, climb over upon itself up the wall up the side of your house to reach the roof and clean out your gutters. Yeah. Yeah. All of these are I mean, it sounds kind of science fictiony, but th- these are all real things that. Uh, that engineers are looking into, maybe not necessarily those use cases, but but essentially the idea of a robot that can change its shape in order to do different things, whether that's just to get across a landscape or to actually perform a specific task. Right. Well, I think we should talk about some of the existing models of reconfiguring or self-reconfiguring modular robots that exist out there today. Right. Uh, because obviously we don't have anything like what we just described, this perfect self-reconfiguring robot that can do uh, anything no. in your house. But <laughs> we, we, we've basically got a few steps in that direction that are very encouraging. Yeah, we've got two that we're specifically going to talk about, one of which is a reconfiguring robot, one which doesn't necessarily reconfigure, like it doesn't form a larger robot, but it can act with a swarm intelligence, which it will be important in modular robotics. So we're going to talk about those. But I should point out, there are lots of different types of modular robots out there. Some of them are not self-reconfiguring. Some of them are simply you get all the different components and you put them together, swap them out. Yeah, Yeah. you can you can sit there and make, you know, there are a lot of ones that uh, teach children the basics of robotics and they have different units that do different things. And the way you put them together determines their function. Uh, These are modular. But they don't self reconfigure. Mm-hmm. They don't. They don't manage to to put themselves into whatever shape. You are the one responsible for doing it. So we're not really going to talk about those. Okay. Well, let's look at MIT's M blocks. Yes, they are momentum driven magnetic modular robots. That's a lot of M's. That exactly, is. That's how the commercial would go. You know. <laughs> I imagine the guy who did the micro machines ads doing it. Uh, no, you, no. I know how the commercial would go. It would be like, let M into your life. The M block. <laughs> you know, you uh, like MIT, you can uh, just send the checks our way. Yeah. Uh, so they're cubes. They, they, you, know, you would think because they're called blocks. Joe's already regretting his singing. Is that going to stay in? It no, is it's absolutely <laughs> going to stay in. Please continue. Okay. So uh, the M blocks are these blocks that have magnetic corners, right? So e- each corner has a, a beveled magnet in it. Uh, which is pretty cool. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. They also contain a rotating flywheel that can move up to you know, 20,000 revolutions per minute. It's pretty fast. And so uh, they don't necessarily speed uh, turn at full speed every time, but depending on what you need the cube to do, you might have it speeding, spinning that quickly. And then what you do is you apply a brake. Now, the laws of momentum <laughs> state that that energy has to go somewhere. It gets transferred to the cube, and this makes the cube move. Okay, so what does this actually look like when we're watching these cubes move around on each other? Have you ever seen a ghost movie where objects seem to be moving on their own accord with nothing obviously moving them for it? Yeah, sure. That's kind of what it looks like. It looks like the blocks are possessed. Uh, kind of like kind of like the toaster jumping in uh, Ghostbusters 2, yes, yeah? Yes, yeah, exactly. Okay, so... I don't know if you already said this or not, but they don't have external moving parts. No, it's all it's all kept inside. The flywheel is actually contained within the cube. Right. So the momentum can move one cube onto another cube and reposition it around the outside of that cube mm-hmm. without attaching and reattaching via clamps or hooks or anything mm-hmm. like that. Right. It, uh, but it's it's attachment through those magnets, right? Yeah. yeah. And so if you imagine one, it's just one cube moving around another. But if you add a third... You could have two cubes moving around on each other and then yep. the fourth, the fifth. And eventually you can end up with a large mass 
of moving modules that can assume shapes. Mm-hmm. Right. Especially if they're in communication with each other. Yep. And you can also include uh, modules that don't necessarily have the flywheel inside them. They might have some other uh, specific sensor or camera in them. Uh, the MIT group has talked about the possibility of that as well, in which case the ones that have the flywheel would be responsible for moving the other ones, which they can do because that flywheel is spinning so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, these things can actually jump. So uh, they don't just <laughs> like the, the the videos I've watched show the cubes. I guess rolling is the best way of putting it uh, mm-hmm. in order to move across the floor. But they can even let's say you've got two cubes stacked already vertically and you have a third cube roll up, it can actually spin and break in such a way to jump up and land on top of those two cubes, which is kind of spooky looking when you watch <laughs> it the first time. They also, of course, are making pretty loud noises because it's a flywheel spinning and then breaking. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not silent. It's it's <laughs> loud and spooky. So uh, but it's pretty cool. And, and those those uh, magnets that are in those beveled points in the corners, they rotate. And the reason why the magnets rotate is so that you can always get a north-south connection. Remember, you know, the opposite poles attract mm-hmm. and similar poles repel. And you want to be able to make sure that when one block approaches another block, it's able to actually latch on properly. So the magnets in those individual points will naturally rotate so it'll be a north-south connection. Oh, so, so that any two cubes from any two sides can attach. Exactly. And if you get two poles that are the same, then one of them will end up rotating. Everything will be fine. So there's literally no wrong way to put them together. Oh, cool. So it's really neat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, these also remind me of another project out of MIT, one that we've talked a little bit about before previously, uh, before previously, which is the common way <laughs> to really overemphasize a point. Um, they're, uh, the MIT's reconfiguring robots from their self-assembly lab. Um, uh, while researching what's called 4D printing, um, that's 3D printing of materials that can then move and change with with minimal stimulus or instruction from the outside. Uh, the kids at the self-assembly lab created some macro scale robots to help demonstrate the the usefulness and, and honestly, the, the coolness of this changeability of, of structure. Mm-hmm. And so so these are these reconfiguring robots are programmable folding chains constructed of of nodes each of which is is hardwired to one or more neighboring nodes. So if you give one node an instruction, it'll pass information uh, on how to move down through the chain until the programmer's desired shape is is complete uh, with, with relatively minimal input from, from that programmer, right? If you do not remember us talking about it or, or if you want to refresh yourself, you can learn more about these and other self-assembly techniques in our video and podcast, both of which published August 28th of 2013. That's like over a year ago, guys. We've been doing this a minute. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the episodes are called uh, the video is 40 printing is the future of design. And the podcast episode is 40 printing is one D better. <laughs> I must have titled that one. <laughs> Actually, uh, I think I came up with that line. Oh, okay. Strangely enough. Yeah. So oh, it it's, sounds it's like a, very, a Jonathan It's line. a very Jonathan kind of joke. Uh, so the other one we wanted to talk about was Harvard's Kilobots. Now, this is the one that is not a uh, modular robot, but they do demonstrate um, swarm behavior, which, again, is going to be really important. If you're talking about ultimately, if, you're, if your goal is to create uh, a robot, a large robot made up of smaller robots – then you have to build in some form of intelligence for each of those smaller robots to know, quote unquote, its place and its uh, and its function. Right. And so there are some similar concepts going on between these two uh, 
these two ideas, swarm robotics and the modular robotics. So with the self-reconfiguring modular robot, we're generally imagining something that's connected to itself. Yeah. It's got pieces that may all be the same kind of piece moving around one another to reshape itself. With swarm robotics, you've still got lots of pieces working together, but they're sort of moving on mass and they might not be building a shape. Right. They might, they, they often aren't, uh, physically connected together at all, right? Yeah. They're all individually free to move. If if somehow one was to break free of its programming, it can make a break for it. Uh, it's not it's not chained f- physically in any way. So uh, whereas the ones from MIT were magnetic and linked together, and we know of a lot of others that have physical connections of some sort, either they have connectors that snap in or they have clamps that hold on to one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, these do not. These are simply to allow... Uh, computer scientists to test various algorithms for robotic intelligence, for swarm intelligence. Uh, and a lot of them are looking into biomimicry, the idea of, of how uh, animals in swarms behave uh, in a mass. You know, it's not it's it's a really fascinating study. At any rate, uh, the the problem with these computer algorithms was that for a very long time, there wasn't an easy way to test them. Like you might come up with a, what you think is a brilliant algorithm to to uh, inform a swarm of robots how to move for any given purpose. Mm-hmm. And you can test that through computer simulation yeah. to your heart's content. Which is not ideal, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, because you're depending upon the fact that the computer simulation has to be accurate enough to actually reflect what a physical object would do. Mm-hmm. So Harvard scientists came up with this idea and and professors as well came up with this idea to create a a relatively inexpensive, tiny robot on which you could test these algorithms by by assembling enough of them to do whatever it is you need to do. And they look like, uh, well, they're little circles, like think of about the size of a quarter, but they are on long spindly legs. And there's a little motor, a vibrating motor on them that, uh, depending on how it vibrates, the Assuming that this is on a level, fl- smooth surface, the robots will skitter across the 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 ground. Now their their legs aren't moving, right? It's just through this vibration. So it's not like they're segmented legs. It's not that much like an insect, hmm, mm-hmm. but they do jitter so that they move in a specific direction. I um, love things that jitter and skitter. Yeah, well, these things certainly do that. And uh, there's some great videos online of these moving around in various ways. Usually it's a direct overhead shot. So you just see a little, it looks like a hockey puck, just kind of slowly moving across a, a an area. So uh, you can even make these yourself if you really wanted to. I'll tell you more about that in a second. But uh, <laughs> the way the way the kilobots form that shape is all dependent upon the algorithm, assuming that the algorithm was, was properly constructed so that mm-hmm. the robots know what to do, quote unquote, um, that they are able to detect one another and move uh, according to whatever the, the plan was. Um, and they communicate through various means. Like there's uh, the version I saw, they were specifically using infrared emitters and sensors so that they would be able to tell how far apart they were from their neighbors to make sure they maintained whatever the distance was that the algorithm dictated. So one of the examples I saw was a follow the leader um, example where one was designated the leader. They had actually put a green sticker on top of it. So it made it easy to follow on the video. Mm-hmm. And then the next kilobot had the the instruction to try and maintain the same distance with the first one. The first one's instructions were move wherever you want, but you can't get too far away from the second one. The third one's instructions were 
try to keep up with the second one, but don't get too far away from the fourth one, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> so the longer the chain is, each one essentially mm-hmm. has the same instruction. Maintain as, as, you know, as, as uh, stable a distance as you can to the one in front of you without getting too far away from the one behind you. And it would follow the leader this way. And it was a cute little demonstration. They also had a foraging demonstration where they had one kilobot designed to look like, uh, well, it just had a red sticker on it, but it was designed to act as the nest. This is home base. Mm -hmm. And they had another kilobot that was about uh, maybe two, two, three feet away that had a green sticker that represented food. So if they wanted to have these robots go out and search for cannibalize. Yeah. (laughs) So we're teaching robots to be cannibals. Well, it's much better than teaching them to hate humans. Yeah, right, fair okay, point. I'm not so, worried about the kilobots. Things skitter at me all they want. Yeah, yeah. They're only <laughs> called kilobots. I mean, how how harmful could they be? <laughs> You're right. Um, is one letter off from killbots? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, and, and well, at any rate, <laughs> so the the way this would work is that the once they got the instruction, they used their infrared sensors to look for the quote unquote food kilobot, and once they'd found it, then they would travel back and forth between the food one and the nest one. Uh, some would just end up forming kind of a, a, a structure around the nest uh, once they were unable to find the food. They just kind of stayed still. They wouldn't continuously move around. They would only go so far away. And that was a kind of cool demonstration as well. Now, uh, like I said earlier, you can actually get the plans on how to build one of these yourself or lots of them since one would not be terribly useful. You can't really test swarm intelligence on a single robot. The uh, it's difficult. Yeah. 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 All right. Just pretend you're a lot of people. Uh, <laughs> but the whole design is published under Creative Commons. It's just a non-commercial co- commercial license. So you can't you know, you obviously can't make them to sell them. But for educational purposes, you can make as many as you can afford to build. And I say afford to build because obviously you have to buy all the hardware to mm-hmm. put these things together. Uh, though, you know, if you're building them in bulk, obviously the cost would go down. Yeah. Although it's still pretty expensive because if you were to build, say, about 100, they price it out as being about $50 per robot. It's pretty expensive. If you were to build a thousand, it's twenty dollars per robot, but that's twenty thousand bucks when you take that all into consideration. And I don't have twenty thousand dollars to build my robot army. Yet. So, uh, but at any rate, again, these kind of test out that idea of swarm intelligence. More recent videos have shown them do things like assume specific shapes, like they give it a command to, for the, all the robots. And I think there were, in this case, um, more than a thousand of them in the demonstration I saw, uh, but to form a shape like a star. And so the robots have to have information about which other robots they're supposed to be next to. And how they're supposed to be configured based on that, which is really fascinating. You think, you know, this thing is, again, about the size of a quarter. Um, I mean, obviously, it's thicker than a quarter is. Mm-hmm. But still, they're able to pack in enough of the microprocessor technology for the robots to be able to determine, oh, uh, when when they we make this shape, I'm number 437. I have to make sure I'm next to 436 and 438. And they do kind of go one at a time to make this shape. You know, like it hmm. was it was like in a line as opposed to all right and break. You know, they didn't <laughs> they didn't do it like that. But it was, it was really interesting stuff. And again, this is the kind of behavior we're going to have to see for something like the modular robot that's in Big Hero Six to become a reality. Well, I think this stuff is awesome, and I mm. want to know what's currently in development. I don't know if you've looked into that, Jonathan. I, I looked into sort of the most recent literature because this is one of those things where we still have people 
working on implementations. No one, I don't think anyone has come up with the ideal implementation yet. It's, it's, oh, well, it's, no, of course not. I mean, yeah. we're in the, we're in the research phase. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. This, this is a developmental era, which kind of makes it even more exciting, really, because, you know, there's, it, there's so many people looking at different ways of doing this and different, uh, tasks that such robots could do that it really starts to, uh, fire your imagination. So, for example, here's, here are just some titles of some recent scholarly articles that are on the subject. Uh, and, and they, they kind of demonstrate, you know, and like by recent, I mean, these were all published in 2014. Uh, these kind of demonstrate the, the breadth of the research. Design of modular robot system for maintenance tasks in hazardous facilities and environments. Well, that, that kind of, you know, you can easily imagine having yeah. a modular self reconfiguring modular robot would be incredibly useful in that sort of situation. Mm-hmm. Or how about, Roombots, a hardware perspective on 3D self-reconfiguration and locomotion with a homogenous modular robot. So here we have a specific scholarly look into, well, this is, you know, we, we know what we want to achieve. What are the ways to do it using this specific approach where you've got robots that are all essentially the same shape that uh, combine with one another? Uh, then we have design principles and testing of a latching modular robot connector. So again, looking at different ways for these different modules to, to join up. Exactly. Uh, then you have the modular robot joint design and experience verification for small openings and enclosed space, <laughs> which again, really awesome because uh, you're looking at the possibility of using these robots that could go into places that you know, if it had a, a solid form factor that didn't change, it couldn't get there. So imagine that you have to send uh, this robot into a building that is, you know, perhaps it's a really old building and it's got uh, faulty uh, structure, you know, structural damage. And you want to make, make sure it can navigate all the way through and actually investigate that structural damage. That could be really useful. Oh, sure. Yeah. If, if there's a collapsed path or something like that and you need to get under it or around it or whatever that it is that that is. Right. Right. Being able to break down into all of its creepy little robot parts and skitter on through is terrifically useful. Sure. You know, it strikes Emphasis on the terror. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, uh, it strikes me that there are sort of like two main ways that this technology can move forward. And really, both of them seem crucial. But one of them is about working on the modules themselves, Mm -hmm. like making each individual piece. And we're assuming we're working with robots that are made of pieces that are all identical. Right. Pretty much Uh, that making each individual piece cost effective, but very versatile, able to move around, sturdy, able to communicate without being a gazillion dollars a piece. Mm -hmm. Right. But then also talking about the overall swarm intelligence. Mm -hmm. How do you program the robot uh, through these modules to have some kind of collective brain that enables it to do its work effectively? Right, right. Yeah. And, And this is, I mean, these are a lot of unanswered questions right now. Right. Can, can, could there be an emergent artificial intelligence from the swarm intelligence that would allow you to essentially tell it, here's what I need you to do. You figure out how to do it. Yeah. Or would you always need to have some sort of controlling system that mm-hmm. would essentially send instructions to that swarm of robots to form a particular shape to complete that task? Oh, yeah, that's an interesting approach. I hadn't even thought about that because I was just imagining we're assuming this has to be autonomous in one way or another, but you could just, I guess, have a laptop that's Bluetoothed up to your modular robot swarm 
and this thing is reconfiguring itself to do work based on orders that are sent to it from the software on your computer. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, I mean, when it comes down to it, 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 the question is how autonomous does it get? Because there's some autonomy that is necessary, right? Mm-hmm. Because sure. if you're talking about thousands of robots, <laughs> you don't have the time to tell every single individual robot where it fits in this grand scheme. Uh, sure, sure. Well, I mean, you know, if, if you think about something like like having a, a lead bot you know, with a green sticker on it or what yeah. have you um, that you can Bluetooth up with and, and give a command to and then have it break that down into commands to give to everyone else in the swarm so that you don't have to literally contact every single microbot. Oh, right. I yeah, think there I mean, will I, be a bridging system. Like yeah. That. I, I was assuming the commands would be given by software, not like man by oh well, user. well, sure. I mean, you know, no. Either either way, though, um, th- th- there are lots of of different factors of trying to communicate with a swarm like that, right? And, and how you would go about yeah. making it the most efficient. And it's kind of like when we talked about neural networks, how every time you add a node, it it, it complicates the entire structure. Uh, I don't want to say exponentially, but quite a bit. Large fold. Yes. Yeah. So same sort of thing with modular robots. The more modular robots that are in the system, the more complex it's going to be to command it. But that's what, you know, that swarm intelligence is all about. So that's really exciting. And, uh, you know, I, kind of looking into the future, like let's assume again, kind of like Big Hero 6 did. Let's assume that this this research pans out and that we come up with some implementation. It doesn't you know which which one is is immaterial for this discussion but some implementation that works in the in the case of big hero 6 uh it was all magnetics that held everything together and the individual modules looked like a um a sphere with two little uh uh protrusions that stuck out that could that were a kind of hinge they could move independently of each other so uh that's what the individual component was mm-hmm. and then together they could form pretty much any shape you you wanted. Um, and they did so using a brain-computer interface, which was really cool. It was essentially a, um, a, a headband you could wear where your thoughts get transmitted into computer commands that mm-hmm. tell the robots what, it need, what they need to do. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're, we're quite a ways away from that too, but people are working on brain-computer interfaces just as they're working on this modular robot uh, issue. So... You would want, in an ideal implementation, to have your microbots as small as you could possibly make them, right? Because that that would uh, increase their versatility. It would also, you know, you could think of it kind of like a uh, an image, a digital image, and in pixels. You know, if you have smaller pixels, you have better resolution. The picture looks better as opposed to large blocks of color. Then it looks blocky and, and jagged. Same sort of thing with your modular robots. The smaller the unit, the more smooth the robot's going to be, the more versatile it's going to be. Um, but that also comes with some pretty big ish problems. Uh, but another one is that this ideal implementation would allow it to move through those small spaces we were talking about, whether individually, you know, so it splits apart and all the individual pieces creep through an area or it forms some other shape, like a snake like shape to get through certain areas. I've actually seen some really awesome snake bots that are incredibly disturbing to watch on video. <laughs> um, uh, we'll probably need to power these suckers with something that, yeah. that we haven't thought up yet. Yeah, yeah uh, this is a real problem. Oh, sure. You know, well, any significant pushing or pulling or lifting or, or other interaction requires really a lot of power. Uh, right now, hydraulics are really the most efficient systems for for that kind of stuff. And they're 
you know, for example, what what drive the most uh, badass exosuits, for for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're also really clunky and don't really lend themselves to this microbot kind of format because you need like a tank of fluid yeah. in order to drive yeah. them. I can't imagine having like super small lines to each microbot and still having any kind of degree of freedom. Yeah, it would be problematic. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, you know, maybe the answer to this is that we we're not going to use this kind of system for any kind of heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. Um but even so, uh, j- just powering small things that you want to keep lightweight is a problem all yeah, the time. We I mean, talk about it batteries, continually. Batteries on the show. always add weight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So one other challenge, and we've talked about this, is the fact that we need to have these these individual units be able to communicate with each other, at least on some basic level, so that they quote unquote know what they're supposed to do and where they're supposed to go. And that's where we're seeing this this work with like in the Harvard kilobots of of swarm intelligence. It's it's one thing to see the work that's being done with uh, things like the the M blocks, where you're seeing maybe six or seven of the units working together. It's another thing when you start talking about you know large collections of these devices. Mm-hmm. We talked about that a little bit before too in our episodes about uh ants and also about bio- biomimicry at, as a whole. Um and also in our episode about right emergent behavior. Yeah. Yeah, these are all things that you know we don't have answers for because we're still asking the questions. Mm-hmm. Uh but it's really exciting again to see the work and while it, Knowing about this stuff, because, you know, we've researched so much into robots and artificial intelligence just for this show, uh, the not not just this episode, but the forward thinking series overall, that when I went in and saw this movie, when I was watching Big Hero 6, that's why I was like I had a huge grin on my face, because I was thinking these are all the things we talk about on our show uh, that uh, where we are now in a world in this movie where all of those things have been realized, where all the problems and challenges we talk about have been overcome. People have figured out the way to engineer a system that meets those challenges. And to look at the potential of that world was phenomenal. I was like, ah, it's like I'm watching the outcome of a forward thinking podcast where we have that bit where we say, what will the future be like? And this is what the future would be like. And it's it's an amazing uh, uh, vision of that future. So, um, yeah, the first 10 minutes of that movie, I was like, man, I. I wish they had called me because <laughs> like, this is awesome. It feels like it's the outcome of a forward thinking show. Um, but, uh, you know, and then, of course, it gets into more fantastical elements as it goes on. And and the science and technology get a little more loosey-goosey. But they had already won me over at that point. It didn't matter. So you have a hard heart for scientific implausibility. <laughs> there's I can get pretty nitpicky, I admit. It yeah. wouldn't happen like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there there definitely comes a point in that movie where you say, all right, I just got to go along with the ride for now <laughs> or I'm well, going I'm to be encouraged a to hear you say that it's 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 worth seeing. You guys should definitely see it. And of course, you know, this modular robot research, we're going to keep an eye on it. It's fascinating stuff. Uh, we're learning so much about robot intelligence and robot mobility through this kind of stuff that it's just a, a fun thing to keep our eye on. So, guys, if you have any suggestions for future episodes, maybe there's something else about robotics you've always wanted to hear about. Obviously, we don't shy away from that topic. Let us know. Or if there's anything else, you know, just something you're wondering about. What would that be like in the future? Send us a a request. We read all of them. We're happy to get them. And we would love to hear what you think. Send us an email. Our address is fwthinking at howstuffworks.com. 
or drop us a line on social media. We are on Twitter, Google Plus, and Facebook. At Twitter and Google Plus, we use the handle FWThinking. Just search FWThinking and Facebook will pop right up. Leave us a message and we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Bring spring color inside this season with Bear Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the Bear exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 4-14-24 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.